I want to begin this morning by talking about something that you may have seen in the news, whether you watch news on television or consume it on your computer or consume it on your cell phone, uh, you may have seen this. It's a guy by the name of John Allen Chow. Uh, some of you, if you've been checking the news, you, you know about this guy. He, he's, a, he's a young man, only 26 years old. He's an American from the state of Washington. And this, this guy had a real, has a real passion, had a real passion for Jesus Christ and carrying the gospel into places that hadn't heard of Jesus, what we call unreached people groups. And there are still, believe it or not, there are still people in the world who've never heard the name of Jesus. There is no church there. There is no, no scripture in their languages. There are no missionaries there to make contact with them. There are people completely isolated from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John Allen Chow had a passion for people who don't know Jesus to know about Jesus. And he really had a passion for the people who lived on North Sentinel Island. That is in the Bay of Bengal. It's near India. You look it up on a map. It's a very small island, very small population of people who live there. And they have a history. Their history is that they violently oppose anyone who trespasses, who comes on their island. They're completely isolated from the rest of the world. They don't know what an iPhone is. They don't know what the internet is. It is very likely they don't even have a written language. The, the Sentinelese, and I'll try to say that without stumbling over it too many times, the Sentinelese people are what we would consider a, a Stone Age population. They are hunter-gatherers. Some, you may remember some of this from your old history courses, old high school courses. And so it's a very, what we would consider at least, a very primitive society in the way that they live. But they want nothing to do with the outside world and have in fact killed people who have come to their island. And so Chow had a passion for these folks. Now, there's a problem here because there's a lot of barriers to get over. First, you have to get to the island, and the Indian Navy patrols the area to try to keep people off the island. So actually getting there was a challenge to begin with. But beyond that, no one knows what their language is. We really don't know very much. Anthropologists have studied, but they really don't know much about their culture, their their norms. And so... Chow did the best job he could, working with a missions group called All Nations, to prepare himself to go. In fact, in studying this a little more and learning a little bit more, we've also determined that he went through a a battery of tests to determine, to make sure he wasn't carrying anything. He didn't want to take any diseases with him that might affect their population. But John Allen Chow went to the island. He basically hired a couple of fishermen who took him close to the island. He got in a kayak and he he kayaked over to the island, and he went multiple times. I don't know exactly how many, but he did go multiple times. And one of the times that he went, he went, and he was saying in English, of course, they didn't know what he meant, but he was trying to communicate as best he could at that point. He just said, hello, my name is John. I love you, and Jesus loves you. 
ended up getting an arrow shot in his direction that stuck in his Bible. He survived that encounter. He went back to the boat, and he kept coming back. Now, when you read through this, there have been a lot of different reactions to what Chow did. And I've tried to read broadly, not just in Christian magazines and Christian news articles, but also in very secular news articles. I've looked at at some of the the blogs and some of the tweets and various responses to his going to this island. And as I read those, I kind of understood a little bit of what some of the people were saying. For instance, there were some people who were saying, listen, these people, they're not well, I can't say they're not hurting anybody. We, we don't know exactly what they're doing, but they're, they're, they're isolated. They're on this island. They want to be left alone, so we just, just leave them alone. And there are a lot of people who go, he should have just left them alone. He got exactly what he deserved by going over there. There are other people who said, you know, these people have no immunity to the diseases that we have, even the things like the common cold or the flu. If If anyone went who happened to have one of those, it could devastate populations. And listen, we have learned this through history that this has been one of the things that has caused uh, tremendous amounts of deaths around the world, and that is the introduction of what we think are just kind of normal diseases, stuff that we get over into populations that have never experienced it before and, and can wipe out a good number of the people there. And so there's concern there. So there are people saying they should leave him alone. There are other people saying he shouldn't have gone because he might have been carrying something. He might have killed this entire population of people. And then there are other people on the other side who are championing his cause and saying, this guy was doing exactly what the missionaries we admire from the past have done. They take the gospel into places where it's never been before. They engage populations who've never heard the gospel, and they go without knowing the language in the hopes that they can get to know the people, learn the language, and then communicate the gospel in that language back to them. And so it's, it's been interesting. If you spend any time reading it, you kind of know the debates. You kind of know the back and forth on what's going on here. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Here's what I want you to know from from what I've read. I understand the arguments in opposition to him going. I understand them completely. But I also know that every man, woman, and child on this planet has no hope, no true hope, apart from Jesus Christ. You see... When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I'm not sure there's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of debating we can do on that. Either it's true or it isn't. I admire the heart and the passion and the willingness to sacrifice of a 26-year-old believer who was willing to take the risk to take the gospel to a group of people who'd never heard it before. This is what he said in his own words in writings he left on the boat with the fishermen. He said, you guys might think I'm, just, I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus 
to these people. Later, he said, I don't want to die. I think we could, un- we could understand that, right? He's laying it on the line for Jesus. He's putting himself in what he knows to be danger. And he said, I, really, I don't want to die. And yet he went back. Can I be honest with you? The first arrow that got stuck in my Bible might have done it for me. But he went back. Now, if you've heard me talk about Chow in the past tense, it's because on one of his return trips, although this was not visually seen by the fishermen on the boat, on one of the return trips, it is believed that he was killed, well, very likely bow and arrows, because the fishermen did see a body being dragged on the beach and buried. In other words, Chow gave his life in order, in an attempt to reach the Sintelese people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was willing to pay the price. And for him, the price was his life. And so, let's consider this this morning. We have, we've talked about, we're entering into our season of prayer for our Lottie Moon missions offering. So let's think about this in light of that. What price are you willing to pay? What are you willing to risk? Now, I'm not talking about risk as far as, you know, having put a a bet on a football game yesterday. Some of you did that. You know who you are, right? Some of you are happy and some of you aren't happy. That's not the kind of risk I'm talking about. What are you and I willing to risk for the cause of Christ and for the sake of missions? We began a series of messages a while back entitled I was made for this and we've been looking at what we could literally consider going back to the basics of being Christians and God designed us and shaped us for a reason for a purpose and we've talked about being shaped to you know being made for worship and we talked about being made for ministry and we talked about being made for community as we gather together and connect and today I, I want us to consider that we were made for missions and, and no one is exempt. You don't have to be a John Allen Chow. But no one is exempt from the call to missions. And so it's easy for us to talk about missions and talk about missionaries. Perhaps we might even grieve over the way our brothers and sisters in Christ have been treated and grieve over Chow's death as he went to take the gospel to these people. We might even sit around and talk about how much we admire those who are willing to leave a comfortable Western lifestyle and go to places that aren't as comfortable and could be risky. But it's harder by far for us to ask, God, what is 
my part in missions? What is it you're calling me to do? And then an even harder step is to actually do it. Because once we get the answer, sometimes we go, yeah, I don't think so. You know, that, that price, it's a little bit too high. That risk, it's a little bit too risky. But I want to challenge you this morning to at least consider the call of Christ on your life, the call to missions, because each one of us has a part in God's great redemptive plan. There's not one of us is exempt from it. Now, here, here's, I want to share some scripture with you here in just a second here. And that scripture is found in Acts chapter 1. And so if you've got your Bibles and you want to open up there, uh, it'll be a familiar passage to many of you. If you don't know where the book of Acts is, it's a book in the New Testament and it follows the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you should run into Acts. Um, so there you'll find it, first chapter. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11. Now, the good news, you go, well, I didn't bring my Bible or I'm really not... I don't think I'll be able to find it in time. It's on your handout. It's printed for you. We'll put it up on the screen for you. But I want us to hear God's word together and and let this really sink in for us. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, and, and this is what we read. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but but, um, that the Father is fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He'd said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now these, the context of these words, these words are spoken by Jesus after the resurrection, before his ascension, which we read about right here, before he ascended back into heaven. This is the resurrected Jesus who is sharing with his disciples some final words. Uh, Many of you know, if you were in touch with anything other than football yesterday, that uh, uh, President uh, George H.W. Bush uh, passed away. And one of the articles that I was able to read that had something to do with that shared some of the last words that he was able to speak with uh, James Baker, who's a longtime friend of his, and with his own son, George W. Bush, on the phone. Last words, if you've had that experience with someone that you know and love, uh, those, the last time you got to talk with them, the last thing they got to share with you, you know how significant that is. Here Jesus, post-resurrection, just before he ascends into heaven, is going to share something with his disciples. And this is what he chooses to share with them. He says, this, this is your mission. But he not only gives them a mission, he gives them a challenge. 
Because to do this was going to require risk. It was a price to pay. He gives them a calling. This is what your life is to be about. But he also makes them promises. And I want to let you know today that this didn't expire when the original disciples died. This is for us. So let's see if we can unpack a little bit of, of this. What does he promise? He promises power. You will receive power. Now, where does this power come from? Did he say, okay, you know, in the next several days, you're going to receive a shipment of lithium-ion batteries. In, in, in a little while, I'm going to give you the blueprints for the first nuclear reactor. No. You're going to receive power, and here's the second part of the promise, when the Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive spiritual power. Now, I'm going to give you this because I have a calling on your life. I have a mission to give you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That's the calling. That's the mission. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who says, this is what I have personally experienced. A witness is is not a a secondhand account. It's not something that you read once in a book or saw once in a magazine. It's something you have personally had an experience with. And what had experience had the disciples had? They had seen Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had seen him arrested and crucified and buried and they had seen him resurrected they had spent time with jesus they understood what it meant because jesus shared with them in order to be a child of god they had a testimony they had something to witness about because they had an experience and if you are a christian if you're a child of god if you're a follower of jesus then listen you have a story to tell You have a story of how the great God of the universe loved you so much that he sent his one and only son. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time, right? He sent his one and only son, but not just to be born among us and not just to live among us, but to die for us and to be buried and to to rise again on the third day and then to ascend into heaven with the promise of coming back again. And because we have come to believe that is true, everything changes in our lives the bible puts it in the starkest of contrast that we were dead and we become alive that we were blind and now we are able to see that we were in darkness and now we walk in light that's the picture of what has happened to us and so each of us has a story a testimony therefore each of us are called to be witnesses Now, there's a pattern, and the pattern, as you can see, begins right where they were in Jerusalem. 
among people who already had some experiences with Jesus. People who already had, it was, it was easy. To, the, they didn't have quite as large a gap to step over to begin the, the conversation about Jesus because they'd heard about this miracle worker. They'd heard about this prophet. They'd heard about this one who could be the Messiah. Begin right here, but it didn't end there. It goes out into Judea. That is, the people who share the same kind of common culture that we do. And so the bridges, they may be a little bit bigger to get over there, but they're not quite as big. It's still easier to reach those folks. But it it doesn't stop there. Jesus didn't say, hey, stop with the people who are familiar. Stop with the people who are like you. No, he says, then it goes on to Samaria. It goes across that much bigger bridge that much wider expanse to people who don't act like you, don't think like you, don't have the same culture as you, don't have the same traditions as you, don't have the same background as you, and sometimes there are people you don't even like. Well, that could be some people in your own family, but still, not my future son-in-law. I like him. I just want to make sure we get that on tape. But you cross those barriers, you cross those bridges, you go to where those people are who are not like you, but it doesn't even end there. All the way to the ends of the earth. All the way to North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal to a people who don't even mind shooting bow and arrows at planes flying over. Even to them. It's an incredible mission. It's, an, it, it's, it's a humbling mission to say, Jesus, to sit there with that small group of believers and say, okay, guys, here's the mission. And it involves the whole world, places you've never heard of, never even thought about. That's one of those things you just check out and go, that's, that's too big for me. That's too rich for my blood. I, I, I don't know if I can buy that. But here, here's the deal. What did Jesus give them in order to complete the mission? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be. It's not a might. It's not a could. You will be my witnesses. Folks, that is, that's our call. That is, that is the challenge that we have. Now, now, this is interesting because if you read on a little bit more in this, here's what we see, that after Jesus, now he said these words, and he's been taken up into the clouds. He's risen up. He's ascended into the clouds. He's out of their sight, and the disciples are standing there, and they're looking into the clouds where Jesus had ascended. Jesus is gone. They're standing there looking, and it says that two, two men in white robes, we will assume, because, and I believe we can safely assume that these were angels, they came and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why are you standing there looking, gazing into the clouds? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, he'll come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what are they saying? 
First of all, they're saying, listen, (laughs) Jesus didn't abandon you. He hadn't just up and left and you're never going to see him again. This Jesus who just ascended into heaven, he's coming back again. You can count on that. There's another promise that that you can count on it. But he's also saying something else. Or at least by inference. Quit looking in the clouds and get on with it. My dad used to catch me loafing every now and then. I never called my kids loafing. They were always so diligent, just always doing something. But my dad would catch me loafing every now and then. And this is what my dad would say. And uh, he would would come to me and he would say, he'd go, uh, Jimmy, get up and do something, even if it's wrong. I don't know where he got that, and I'm not sure he meant it. But that, I remember him saying, get up and do something, even if it's wrong. In other words, I'd rather you be doing something wrong than not be doing anything at all. Well, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, listen, I've got something I need you to get up and do. But I want to tell you exactly what it is. And exactly what it is is this. You will be my witnesses. I'm going to give you everything you need. You've had the experience with me. The power's coming. And when that happens, you will be my witnesses. And I believe that this message spoken 2,000 years ago is relevant in the 21st century. It's relevant in the United States of America. It's relevant in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's relevant right here in Greene County, Georgia at Grace Fellowship. This is ours. We were made for this. God shaped us for this, designed us for this, prepared us for this, and promised to, promises to empower us for this. We were made for this. Now, among the things that Jesus says, Luke recorded in the book of Acts what we have had in, in Acts 1-8, this expanding outward, these concentric circles of taking the gospel outward. But it wasn't the only thing that Jesus said because we also find that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 28 words that are just as familiar, if not more so, when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age." That's a big mission. So what can you do? What can you do? Because I can promise you, none of you began to look up on your phone, how can I be a missionary to North Sentinel Island? I mean, maybe some of you did, but I don't think anybody in here did. So what can you do? Let me give you three simple steps that you can take and and you, you should be able to take all three of these. First of all, the first step is pray. The first step is to pray. Pray for the lost. Pray for those you know who do not need Jesus. Make that a part of your prayer life. Don't just pray for people who are sick. Pray for people who are lost. Pray for missionaries. In your handout, you have a prayer guide. This is a great place to start. How, how convenient is that? 
Pastor Jimmy says, pray for missionaries. And then, lo and behold, look inside my bulletin, and there's a group of missionaries that I can pray for. And you can start today, and you can pray for each one of these, and you can go through and you can lift them up and ask the Lord to use them in powerful ways as you learn a little bit of their story. You can pray, as Jesus said, that the Lord would raise up harvesters to go out in the field. You can pray for those who have not yet taken that step. Pray for the next generation of men and women who are willing to do that. Or pray maybe that it might be you. How many of you would be bold and daring enough to pray, God, could it happen in my own family? God, could you raise up my son, my daughter? Could you raise up my grandson, my granddaughter in order to be a missionary, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to places that have never heard it? That's a risky prayer, isn't it? That's a risky prayer because that could cost you something. But is it? worth it are the souls of men and women worth it and maybe you could pray for god to guide you into missions right where you live part of our mission is in jerusalem part of our mission is right around us part is in our our community part of us in our family god could you open up the doors could you guide me to those conversations where i can tell people what jesus means to me so we need to pray we can give We can give. We can give sacrificially to the work of missions through things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we collect every year. And our goal this year is $10,000. Can I tell you what? $10,000 is not pocket change for most of us. $10,000 requires sacrifice. Are we willing to pay that price? Listen, did it not excite you that $12,000 thousand churches have been planted throughout the world through the international mission board that is an incredible number of new churches and that ought to excite us it ought to motivate us to pray it ought to motivate us to give you can give faithfully to the mission of your church if you're a member of grace then that would be here if you're a member somewhere else then it would be there but give faithfully to the work of your church because your church has I mean, it's reaching out. Well, we would hope anyway. It's reaching out. It's touching people. It's presenting the gospel. It's it's calling people to to life change. It's calling people to faith. Give cheerfully, knowing that God can and will use your gifts to to reach the hurting, to reach the, the lonely, to reach the hungry, to reach the lost. And God is doing that over and over and over again. And you go, well... Listen, I don't, I don't have $10,000. That, that just blows me away to even think about trying to give a, a substantial amount of money. Just start where you are. The, the problem for most of us is we never begin. We've got these big dreams that always start out, if I ever win the lottery. When Jesus has said, whoever's faithful with little then I'll be able to entrust more to them. I'm not saying that you haven't won the lottery because you aren't giving now. I'm just saying that God and God, God's waiting to see what you will do with what he has already entrusted to you. So you, you can pray, you can give, but I want to tell you this, and, and I want you to believe it, you can also go. You can go. 
Because the ministry wasn't only to the ends of the earth, the ministry was also to Jerusalem. That is those people right around you, those people in your immediate circle. And you can go to them. John Chow felt compelled to take the gospel of Jesus to a place that didn't know anything about Jesus, a place the gospel had never been, to a place where the name of Jesus had not been understood to the ends of the earth. And people can criticize him. They can criticize his methods. Some have even doubted his sanity. But we can and should admire his heart and ask God to give us a heart that beats like that. God, give me a heart for the lost like John Chow's heart. Give me that. If we believe as John Chow believed, as the disciples believed, as so many of our modern forerunners and missions believed, that Jesus is the answer, then what will we do about it? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. It's not always easy for us to hear. Sometimes it's incredibly challenging. But for those of us who know your son Jesus as Savior, that's our calling. We were made for this. And you've empowered us for this. And so, Lord, we want to receive what you have for us and then begin on our mission of carrying Jesus to a world that needs it. And it might begin right there in our own home with a family member. It might begin around a Christmas dinner table as we gather with those relatives that we grew up with. It might begin in taking a plate of cookies to a neighbor across the street or around the block. It might begin as we have a a lunch meeting with someone that we've been working with for a while, a meeting where we intentionally say, hey, listen, let me tell you a little bit about my story that you don't know and how I met this man, Jesus, who changed everything for me. Father, make us men and women who are willing to risk. Make us men and women who are willing to pay the price. Make us men and women who have a heart that beats like the heart of John Allen Chow beat for the lost in the world. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today who may not know Jesus. Lord, that they may have, through your word today, heard you call them and are sensing even now that your spirit is drawing them to come to faith in the one who can save them, the only one who can save them, Jesus. Lord, I pray today might be their day of decision. And Lord, I pray for those who need a place to call a church home, a place to belong, a place that can help them grow in their belief, and a place that can help them become all that God's created them to be. Lord, this is your time. 
to move in their lives, if you're calling people to make a decision, then let your spirit lead them to do it even now. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.